You, the listening audience, will have the opportunity through episodes in this podcast to learn, dissect, and grapple with some of the issues involving those of us separated from our biological family. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. I met my next guest in person this year. We, along with a group of other adoptees, enjoyed a beautiful afternoon in Chicago. She is the co-host of the podcast, Black to the Beginning, with Dr. Samantha Coleman, and the two of them are bringing a tremendously valuable resource to the adoption community. Her name is Sandria Washington, and a part of her identity is being a late discovery adoptee. Sandria knew from an early age that books, words, and stories would always be her saving grace. She's been an editor, advertising account executive, freelance writer, blogger, corporate communications AVP, and an entrepreneur. She further states in her bio, As a creative, I like to take the scenic route in life, and I love a good backstory. I believe everything I've lived through and the tools I've picked up along the way, particularly the sudden death of my mother in 2011, a 20-year practice of journaling and being a student of yoga, helped prepare me for April 2nd, 2018, and the call that would change my life. In this episode, Sandria will share part of her relinquishment and adoption journey as an LDA and being in reunion with biological family members. She will discuss her and Dr. Sam's contribution to a recently published book, A Year of Black Joy, 52 Black Voices Share Their Life Passions, curated by Jamie Wilson and illustrated by Jade Orlando. Sandria gifts us with a partial reading of her written words. Allow me to introduce you to a fellow podcaster who, with Dr. Sam, a few years ago discovered a need in our community for Black adoptee voices to be elevated and given the much-needed space where for far too long hadn't been heard. We laugh, get serious, and share our perspectives as Black same-race adoptees born in Chicago and both navigating the cultural taboos within the Black community by being public about the separation from our family of origin. Sandria, I'm so happy to have this conversation with you. I've been waiting to do this for like, I want to say two years. I mean, you and Dr. Samantha Coleman have been on my radar for a long time because you are podcasters, and your podcast is Black to the Beginning, and it's so well done. So how are you doing today? Thank you so much. I am doing good. It's a beautiful day so far, and yeah, I'm excited that we were finally able to to make this happen. 
I am too. And we got to meet in person in Chicago, right? This past August at the Soul Food Lounge restaurant, which was so nice. And I would recommend. We need to go back. (laughs) Yeah, I would recommend that restaurant. Would you? Oh, I would definitely (laughs) recommend it. Yes. Yeah, we had a good time with three other adoptees, one of them being Dr. Sam. She's affectionately Mm -hmm. called Dr. Sam, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, we had a good time there. And as I get to know you better, like I have so many questions. I've got so many things I want (laughs) to ask you. And I know that you co-wrote A Year of Black Joy, 52 Black Mm -hmm. Voices Share Their Life Passions. Passions, yes, yes. So Dr. Sam and I, we are contributors to that book. It just released on October 10th, 2023, which was also World Mental Health Day. It's curated by editor and writer extraordinaire Jamia Wilson, illustrated by Jade Orlando. And Sam and I are just super excited that we were invited to contribute because it's one of those things like, wow, somebody is interested in us sharing something about Black adoption. Like that just doesn't happen. So we were very excited, still very excited to be included. Yes, I love the title. And I understand it's like 52 Black voices to represent the 52 weeks of the year, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes. So our entry is toward the end of the year for November for World Adoption Day, which is November 9th. So our entry is about the joy of owning your voice. Mm. And I understand you may read something for the listeners. Yes. Yes. So I will read a little bit, but definitely listeners, you can pick up a copy of the book anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all the places. But I'll read our intro, The Joy of Owning Your Voice, with podcasters Sandria Washington and Dr. Samantha Coleman. After years of friendship, we never imagined having a podcast together, especially one that provided a safe space to discuss Black adoption stories. Adoption wasn't talked about in our families when we were growing up. It was a secret. We learned as adults that we were adopted and wondered, are there more Black adoptees like us? So we created a podcast and used the power of telling our stories to find out. After all, the human voice is a powerful instrument. What did we discover? The joy of connecting with people and creating community, the joy of supporting others, telling their stories and helping them feel heard, the joy of owning our voices and thereby giving others permission to do the same. The world needs your voice too. If there are things in your neighborhood or school that you want to change, speak up. One voice makes a difference. You could always do what we did and grab a friend to tackle the scary stuff together. So, yeah, that's that's our little excerpt. And we have like five takeaways to to owning your voice. That's on the second page. Yeah, that's like a snapshot of of our story and, and how we started the podcast. 
That's beautiful. Thank you so much for reading that. I love your words. Thank you. Thank you. So that leads me right into talking a little bit about your podcast. I was, Mm -hmm. yeah, I kind of know a little bit about why you started it and the need. There's Mm -hmm. definitely a need. And so for the listeners, share why you started it. You you said a little bit about that just now, but how it all kind of came together for both of you. Yes. So the podcast was not anything that was on our radars, primarily because we did not know that we were adopted. So in my situation, I grew up with my family, primarily raised by my mom, my mom and my older brother. My mom passed at the end of 2011. Fast forward to 2017, I learned from a cousin. Uh, she was the first one to, to plant the seed that I was adopted. This was something that completely caught me off guard. And so it wasn't until 2018, a few months after that message from my cousin, that I confirmed with one of my aunts that I was indeed adopted as an infant. So that was 2018. At the time, I was 38 years old. Prior to that, I knew that I had a few friends that were adopted, but it wasn't anything that came up in regular conversation. Samantha was one of those friends because she had shared with me two years prior in 2016 that she learned that she was adopted. And I won't go in depth into her story, but a piece of it is that she was also a late discovery adoptee and her mother told her that she was adopted in 2006. So Samantha found out when she was 26 years old and because of the shame that she felt around it, she didn't share it with her friends for a decade. And Mm. so I actually didn't learn about her being adopted until 2016. At the time, I'm like, oh, my God, that's so crazy. And who would have known that two years later, I would find out that I was adopted as well. Wow. Um, From that, we decided in 2019 to come together and really try to figure out what we could do to open up this conversation, not only in our own families, but just across the board, just globally, mainstream media, like why aren't more people talking about Black adoption? And specifically, why aren't we hearing more from Black adult adoptees? Because the image that's portrayed out there, it's primarily Black babies, and it's Black babies adopted into non-Black families. Mm -hmm. And so we really wanted to highlight that Black families do adopt. (laughs) We've been adopting. This is something that's not new to us. And that those adopted babies eventually grow up to be adults, adults who can speak for ourselves, who can share our own stories, change our own narratives. And so we were trying to figure out how do we do that? That's a big task. How do we, you know, change the narrative of Black adoption and eventually decided to launch the Black Adoption Podcast. Mm -hmm. And we launched in November of 2020. So we are approaching our three-year anniversary. And it's just been an an amazing experience. Yeah, congratulations. And and also, I I failed to say congratulations about the book. 
Thank you. Um, yeah, that, Thank that, you. that's a big accomplishment. And as a podcaster, I know how hard you work. I know how much work goes into it. So yeah, mm-hmm. hats off to both of you. And I remember looking at your, you all have a really impressive website. And you said on there that you attended, you all both attended a podcasting event, Work It, mm-hmm. a women's yep. podcasting festival in 2019 and you left there feeling overwhelmed can you share a little bit about why you felt that way yes so 2019 we we fly out to LA and we go to this conference the work it podcast festival which centers on women women in podcasting and so we go and we're going to all these workshops and panels it just felt like Everyone had so much more experience and it felt like a very daunting undertaking, you know, like how do we record audio? How do we get the right microphones? Where do we record and how do we find guests and and do all the things? And I just remember leaving there like, I I don't know (laughs) if we can can do this. And so, you know, that was in. I think September, either September or October of 2019. And so it would be more than a year later before we would actually launch the podcast because we just really needed to take some time. It's like, okay, can, can we do this? Mm -hmm. And then finally it just got to a place where it was like, you know what, we'll figure it out as we go. It doesn't have to be perfect. We just need to start. We will do this imperfectly right. <laughs> and learn as we go. And that's, that's what we did. That so, was yeah, my year too. A year after going to that festival is when we decided to jump out and, and make the podcast happen. Yeah. Well, you've done a beautiful job. In fact, you know, I've listened to several episodes and my favorite is Darius Colquitt. Oh yeah. <laughs> he is a good time. That's one of my favorites too. Even just Editing that one was fun because I got to relive the conversation all over again. I'm like, he is a good time. Yes. Um, we actually got to meet him in person this summer. He he popped into town for a few days and we went out, had dinner. And yeah, the podcast has just been amazing and allowing us to meet people like him and just all of the other guests that we've been able to meet in person. It's like, wow, there is community of us out here and this podcast has helped to bring us together so yeah anytime somebody is in Chicago we we try to make it a point to to link up and I enjoyed Quadria Sophia I love her name yeah 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 (laughs) and Renicia Jackson who accepted my invitation to be on my podcast. Yeah, those three really stood out to me. Yeah, and we've had a chance to meet Renicia when she popped into Chicago. Just amazing. And you get the different voices. So Quadria, she is a birth mom. Her story was was interesting because the woman who adopted her son I I knew her. I, I knew her virtually. We we haven't met in person, but I knew her because she's an author and I had read her book. And so it was just interesting connecting those dots. Like, wow, you get to hear the story from both sides, the birth mom and the adoptive mother. So yeah, we have both of them on the podcast separately. 
Yeah, it was so good. And so I know we have in common you being born and raised in Chicago, South Side, mm-hmm. right? South Side, yes. Yes. And, and I'm sorry for your loss, your mother passing. I know that Thank must have you. been very hard. Yes, yes. It was very, very sudden. I mean, yeah, just she went in, she was having issues breathing. And I remember I made it to the hospital just in time before they were getting ready to take her back into surgery to try and drain some of the fluid that was starting to accumulate around her lungs. And, you know, she had had procedures before and you know, it it was one of those things where you don't think about that being the last time that you speak to someone, you know, you think you wait around and, you know, she's going to come out of surgery and you're going to go back and see her. That ended up being, being our last conversation. And as a late discovery adoptee, you would not be able to ask her any questions. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, because at that time it was still still a secret. And it would take, you know, another seven years for for it to, to finally be revealed to me. And I know that you found out in 2017 through social media. Yes. And then yes. what did you do between that time and having it confirmed in 2018 with an aunt? So my cousin sent me a DM, a message via Instagram. And so that was how I initially got adoption on on my radar. After reading her message, the first thing I did was pull out my my family's photo albums. So like when my mom passed, I I was the one who kept all all her photos and I kept them under my bed. So I pull out the bin with all the photos and I just start looking at pictures of me and my mom and my dad and me and my brother and I'm just looking to try and see like wait a minute I, I think I look like these people but let me let me look again is there some truth to what my cousin is saying and so that was the first thing and then the months in between so November to April was me really just kind of sitting with the possibility that what she said was true and just letting that kind of sink in. So I didn't really talk about it with anybody. I didn't reply to her message. I didn't reach out to family right away. I just sat with it myself and tried to process what it could mean if what she said was in fact true. And so by the time I had a conversation with my aunt in April of 2018, it wasn't even like a complete shock. It was just more so confirmation. It was confirmation of what I had always felt growing up, just this disconnection and just various struggles that I had as a child and a teenager and even as a young adult and it just felt like confirmation and validation. Mm-hmm. And it proved for me that it, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just all in my head. Like, no, something <laughs> happened to me that I just wasn't aware of. Yeah, those months in between was just processing what I knew in my spirit was likely true. Was it mean-spirited at all by the cousin? 
it wasn't, or at least I tried not to read into it as mean spirited. At the time, I, I I couldn't really say for sure what the intention was because there was it wasn't a very long message. It wasn't in depth. There wasn't a lot of context, and so I didn't want to read too much into it. And so I just really had to trust that her intentions were were good but then later maybe about a year or two later she ended up messaging me again and I I did ask her why did you do it in the way that you did it right and so she was able to just kind of give me a little bit more context and share and so I take away that it wasn't mean-spirited and and I do believe that she had good intentions thank you for sharing all of that because a lot of my listeners are late discovery adoptees and and they've expressed to me they really appreciate hearing from other LDAs. So, mm-hmm. yeah, because that, that is, an, I, I always say, like an added unnecessary layer uh, yeah. to adoption for us as adoptees. And I can't imagine, like, the degree of distrust that you have to manage maybe or Mm -hmm. carry as you unpack it. I don't think that parents, adoptive parents that wait or don't share that information, I don't think they're doing it from a a hurtful place, even though it is Mm -hmm. very hurtful. Um, Mm -hmm. I appreciate hearing how things kind of unfolded for you. It's challenging because it is one of those things where there is the distrust, but I think what I've taken away from it is how much more I can trust myself. So like when you're when you're a late discovery adoptee and you're growing up and there's nothing that validates the feelings that you feel you can become very distrustful of yourself. You can become very distrustful of your own intuition and your own gut feelings because we can all feel energy. You can feel, you know, when things are off. And so if you're raised in a household, in a family with people who are not biologically related to you, even if You've grown up in the most loving home and it was a good experience. You can still feel that something is different. And so for me, this has just taught me to trust myself even more because I subconsciously knew what I knew and just didn't know at the time. And I think in in terms of adoptive parents and their intentions, I think in in that era of, of closed records and Black families leaning on this concept of matching, so trying to bring in a child who matches with your family who looks like they could be your biological child, I think part of that was the culture of adoption at the time. It's like, okay, you have found this this baby who matches and you can raise this child as your own because they're unaware that they're adopted. They can blend in. You know, there was a prevailing narrative that almost like babies are blank slates. So if you adopt a baby and they grow up in, in the family, they don't know anything else. And so that child 
should grow up fine, well-adjusted, as if they were your biological child. But of course, we know that is not the case. Babies are not blank slates. There is trauma that impacts you, even if you are not consciously aware of it. And so I think in terms of my parents and just parents of that era, they had to deal with a lot of decisions. You know, do we say something? Is the best practice to say something? And I know in my case, my older brother shared with me that they didn't have an intention of telling me because they were afraid that if I knew the truth, then I would stop loving them or I would be angry. And so there was a lot of fear there. But according to him, that's that's why they they didn't share it with me. Everything you said there was so good. And especially when you say you learn to trust yourself more. I don't think I've mm-hmm. ever heard a late discovery adoptee put it that way. Because oftentimes I, I imagine, and, and I've heard this said, you know, I knew something was different, something, you know, something was off and, mm-hmm. and didn't know what it was. And then learning that they were an adoptee in their 40s or 50s or 60s, they could go back and say, yeah, I knew something was off. And now I have a better idea of what it was. Yeah, right. I, I get that. Learning to trust yourself more. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You know, I'm in Chicago for an extended yes. stay, and I've been here like two weeks already. So, oh, my, wow. <laughs> yeah. So we could have met in person. <laughs> yeah, we, we could have. Yeah, yeah. I know, but you have a full schedule. So, I, at least we could do this, you know, and maybe yes. we can get together before I leave. And I want to apologize to my listeners because my space to record is not the same as it would be in Nashville. So I know that, that you'll notice that sound if you're a regular listener. So I do apologize for that. But I wanted to keep going, and I was so happy to be able to conversate with Sandria so that you could hear a part of her adoption journey. And so I know you are in reunion. Tell us a little bit about how that is. Yes, so reunion that's a, a whole journey in itself. I found out or, or had it confirmed that I was adopted in 2018. Within a month, actually less than a month, I was able to connect with a biological sister, a younger sister uh, who was born in Chicago, but raised primarily in Pittsburgh. And so within a month, I was on a flight to Pittsburgh, meeting her and her family and and her son. And so when I met her, she shared with me that we have other siblings. We actually have three older sisters. So I am one of five girls born to the same parents. The first three were raised by my, my biological mother. And then I came along as number four. I was placed for adoption. And then a year later, my younger sister was placed as well. And so when I met the younger sister and and she shared that we had other siblings, I started to, to search social media and I ended up finding my birth mother's 
Facebook page. And so I'm on her Facebook page and I see pictures of our sisters and pictures of aunts, pictures of my maternal grandparents, which was so crazy because I could see my features in my maternal grandmother. There was a, a picture of her as, as a young woman. I was like, oh my God, that's, that's my face. <laughs> I remember finding her page, but I didn't reach out to her because I, I didn't know, I didn't know the circumstance. I didn't know if this would be a door that she would want to reopen after nearly 40 years. I knew what it felt like to have this surprise you know, sprung on me. And so I didn't want to now be the person to pop up and surprise somebody else. And so I didn't reach out to her right away. A year later, late 2019, I ended up getting a message through Ancestry.com because I had done a DNA test way back in 2014. And I got this message from a gentleman and he shared that that I matched, I was a very high match to his wife and he was curious about who I was. And so that's when I told him, you know, I'm adopted and I, I probably am related to your wife. It was through him that I eventually connected with my birth mother, which then eventually connected me to my sisters and my birth father. And I ended up meeting my birth mother and birth father all in the same week, within like two days of each other. From 2019 to now, it's just kind of been a process of trying to build these relationships organically. And so, you know, I'll hang out with my sisters from time to time. Two of them live here. Two of them live out of state. But when they come into town, we'll hang out or I'll go visit. I'll see my my birth mom for different like family events. So if it's somebody's birthday or if it's her birthday. And so we'll we'll talk from time to time. We'll see each other from time to time, but it's still very much a learning and getting to know each other type of thing. Yeah, that seems pretty recent to me. How does it feel to you? Yeah. No, it it is still very recent. I'm like, wow, it's it's only been what four years three four years so it's like yeah we're we're still in the early stages of this and and there's still so much more to learn because we haven't had a deep deep conversation so there's still a lot I don't know about my maternal or my paternal side of the family you know I don't know a lot about grandparents and great-grandparents or about my birth parents' childhood. Like, I don't know a lot. So we're still uncovering things and trying to get to know each other. I would say in the grand scheme of things, it's been a good reunion. I'm still very much hopeful that it can become even better. That's good. Was your biological mother glad you found her? Um. I, I think, yes. I think initially there was some shock just because of the way that it was presented to her. The gentleman who reached out to me, which is technically my, my uncle via marriage, didn't really bring it to her in the most 
loving or kind way. It, it almost felt like an ambush. And so I think initially, yeah, she was just a little bit caught off guard because it was one of those things where she had not shared it with her family. They they didn't know about me or my younger sister. This just kind of took everybody <laughs> by surprise. Yeah. Um, but I can definitely tell, you know, when we're all together and, you know, she's just very happy. Her name for me is Baby Girl. So, you know, when she calls, like, hey, baby girl. So I can tell that she's happy. But I also know that there probably is a lot of just trauma that she still hasn't unpacked yet after 40 plus years. Yeah, so, that's hard, especially if you're ambushed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really hard. Well, I'm glad it's a work in progress, getting to know them and them getting to know you. And, and I've been using this word adventure. Been yes, substituting. I love that word. <laughs> yes, I've been substituting. it is. It's right? Journey for adventure. It, life is yes. truly an adventure. So I love that. I really appreciated your words, you and Dr. Sam's words on the website. You say, you each quickly learn that black adoption is common, but taboo to, to speak about in private or publicly. The voices mm-hmm. of black adoptees, especially those adopted by black families, are rarely heard. Most conversations about adoption are from the perspective of parents, but typically white adoptive parents. And that leads me into one of the most important questions I've been asking same race black adoptees mm-hmm. and that is as a black same race domestic adoptee is there anything that is sometimes misunderstood by others particularly in our community mm-hmm. oh yeah I would say the primary thing is that people believe that if you were adopted into a black family that your situation was completely and absolutely positive and devoid of any trauma. You know, you have these racial markers and you get to see people who look like you and you're raised within your culture and and everything should be fine. And that is not the case across the board. I believe that same race adoptees share many of the same challenges as transracial adoptees. I think that's where the conversation needs to meet in the middle. We have more similarities than we have differences. And in the case of Black adoptees, Samantha and I like to say we are Black first, adopted second. And so what that means for us when it comes to transracial adoptees, we don't look at the transracial as primary. We are looking at you as another Black person, another Black adoptee. So regardless of who you were adopted by, you are Black and you are an adoptee. You are a Black adoptee and we have that in common. And so how do we start the conversations there and begin to talk about the things that we share, the challenges that we share, or even the joys that we share. But it's like, there's so much division. Because even when we started the podcast, when we started Black to the Beginning, 
there weren't spaces with same race adoptees. And so for me, when I first found out, I immediately tried to look for spaces. I went on Facebook, I went on Instagram, and most of the online spaces catered to transracial adoptees. Even if they were were Black, it was still very much a TRA conversation. And so when we decided to create Black to the beginning, we wanted to open up that conversation to really double down on Black, Blackness. So regardless of who you were adopted by, you are still a Black adoptee the same way we are Black adoptees. And so I think there's just some people don't really recognize same race Black adoptees. You know, it's almost like when you're raised in in the family, it's almost like being LDAs all over again. People don't see us. There's a type of erasure because you just blend in. You're not a part of the mainstream conversation because you just blend in to your families. And there's a belief that you are not still impacted as an adoptee if you're raised by a Black family. So to me, that's one of the primary myths or misconceptions about being a same race adoptee. And so we try to highlight like, no, there's, <laughs> there's, there's some, some thing like just because you were able to be raised in a black family, that does not mean everything was, was perfect. Right. What a beautiful answer. Yeah. I'm black first too. Yeah. I'm black. And then I'm an adoptee. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I had an opportunity to listen to the episode you did on Adoptee Zone, hosted by Haley Rackley. Mm. And, I, mm-hmm. and I really mm-hmm. appreciated her owning the fact that she hadn't really thought about Black same race adoptees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she owned it. Because I have been in circles where people, white adoptees, were surprised. They just assumed I was a transracial yeah. adoptee, right? And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, yeah. hold up. <laughs> what is the right. implications of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you all did a great job on there with her, you and Dr. Sam. Thank and, you. Yeah. And, and you said it on, on your website. It's taboo. The culture, the black culture, and, and I'm kind of thinking just about how I grew up, how my parents were, you know, it wasn't something they thought I should be talking about publicly, mm-hmm. you know, because I did fit mm-hmm. in. The matching went very well in my case, and so mm. much so that people would say, oh, I knew that was your cousin, or I knew that. So I'm wow. always sitting with, but not because we're biologically related. But I do know that I had a choice to discuss my adoption or not, because I did fit in. But, mm-hmm. but I know mm-hmm. that, yeah, it was taboo to really discuss this. And and even now, as public as I have been for a while, family members, I think they they don't say it, but I think they wonder why why is she so public, right? Like why Right, like why are you still talking about this? Why are we talking about this? But yeah. she, but it's a part of my identity which I have expressed to them, just like being a black woman is a part of my identity and a mother and you know, all the other things I identify with. So why wouldn't I talk about this part of my identity. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the, but I think the culture is becoming a little bit more receptive. And that's what I love about you all doing your podcast, because it suggests that, yeah, these things that were taboo, whether we're talking about 
therapy, you name it, in the black yep. community, I think people are starting to say, well, maybe maybe I can lean into this. Yeah. You know, yes. because it's healthier. It's healthier to be yep. able to, to talk about things and be heard and seen. It's yes. a part of your life. So, yeah. yeah, I'm just a perfect example of that. I recently finished reading Carrie Washington's new memoir, Thicker Than Water. And so in her story, it recently came out that she was donor conceived. She talks about how her parents basically had no intention of, of ever telling her, but she shares how once you know, she decided to go public and, and really start to talk about this and, and own the narrative and own her story. She talks about how much healing has happened between her and her parents. And she talks about how even her mom just looks different. She looks lighter because there's not this secret burden that's weighing her down. Right. And so I see the same thing happening with the black adoption conversation is like we have so many different types of family secrets, whether it's adoption, whether it's molestation, substance abuse, drug abuse, whatever it is, we have all these secrets. But if we could just put things out in the open, there would be so much healing behind that. And so that's that's what we're hoping is happening with our work. Yes, I know it is. It's such a major contribution, such such a big contribution to the community. And I know a little bit about Carrie Washington's story and also Kirk Franklin. Yes, another, that's another one. Right? Yep. Another example of being public. Because the, the thing about secrets is it's related or it's connected to this, this sense of shame. Like anytime yes. you're keeping secrets you feel some sort of shame about it. So, yeah, we want to let go of shame. Yes, yes. Yeah. This has been a wonderful conversation. I just got to value your time and just asked you one more thing. Yeah. And that is what has been meaningful or rewarding about being connected to the, or better connected to the adoption community and or challenges? Mm. I would say something meaningful, rewarding. The thing that always sticks with me is that I feel like we're creating content, we're creating conversations for people who don't even know that they need it yet. Like I always think about there's other late discovery adoptees who have not yet discovered that they are. Because I know, you know, this does not end with Samantha and I. We are not the last two <laughs> to find out, you know, 2016, 2018, 2019. Like, it, it didn't stop there. So people are finding more out. people. Yeah, today. Right. Today they'll be today. finding out. Right. So I, I keep that in the back of my mind. And it just gives me so much, I don't know what the right word is, whether it's comfort, whether it's pride, but it feels meaningful that when someone finds out and they do the same thing that I did, they go to social media, they go to Google and they're trying to find connection. They're trying to find answers. They're trying to find somebody who understands they're going to find us. They're going to find our website, our podcast. They're going to find your podcast. When I found out in 2018, that didn't exist. 
I didn't find anything. <laughs> and so it just feels meaningful, like, wow, fast forward a few years and we've created something that somebody, whether it's today, whether it's five years from now, whether it's 20 years from now, somebody's going to find this content and it will bring them some type of comfort because they will know that they are not alone in their experiences and they're going to have various roadmaps to help guide them through processing what it means to be a late discovery adoptee or if they're a birth mother because you don't really hear the stories of black birth mothers they can listen to an episode and get comfort from that they can listen to episodes with other adoptive parents and it just feels good that this information is out there because in 2018 I couldn't find it we right. couldn't find it right. and so we we created it yes there you go <laughs> Yeah. There you yeah. go. I, I once had a 20-something-year-old black, same-race woman tell me I couldn't find any Jennifer Diane Ghostins. Like, I was mm -hmm. looking and looking because, yeah, we just are starting to really be present so that, yes. just, just like you said, so that someone looking will have a resource and know that they are not alone. Yeah. Yes. That's yes. great. Well, in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? Well, first, just thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> thank you for your time. Uh, you can find Black to the Beginning on Facebook, on Instagram. You can check out the website, blacktothebeginning.com, which will link you to all of, all of the things, whether it's the podcast, whether it's merchandise. I love and the merchandise, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we got to add some new stuff. We'll be adding some new stuff for 2024. Yeah, if, if nothing else, I hope people take away from this conversation to have conversations, mm. to have honest and open, transparent conversations. So even if option isn't your your secret or your thing within your family, whatever that thing within your family is, I would just encourage you to shed some light on it. And if there's something that you've been silent about, don't silence yourself. Because there's one, it's one thing when, when somebody else silences you against your will. So in my case, I didn't know I was adopted. I was silenced because I just didn't know. But now that I have an awareness, I have a responsibility to myself to own my voice, own my narrative, and to be a light and to not silence myself. And so I would just encourage others to see if there's areas in their life where they are silencing themselves and let that go. Own your voice. Let that go and own your voice. Well said. Yeah. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I have enjoyed it. Sandria, one last thing. I know you took first place winner of your first bodybuilding competition, <laughs> yes. and I cannot let that go unnoticed. Congratulations. What do you want to say about thank it? Thank you. Oh, my goodness. So, yes, first of all, thank you. I'm super excited about that. It, it's funny because I can actually tie it back into being adopted. I don't know if you've read the book, The, the Body Keeps Score or, or anything like that, but yeah, I have. 
as an adoptee or just even if it's not adoption, just anyone who has experienced some type of trauma, sometimes there can be challenges with connecting with our bodies or just connecting with our own identities. And so I've been on a journey for many, many years. I've trained as a, as a certified yoga teacher. Um, I've taught. I'm a certified meditation coach, and I've just done different things throughout my adulthood to become more embodied, just more within myself. So even before the the adoption revelation came out, I was already on that path. And so to fast forward to last year, 2022, I decided like, you know what? I am going to train and I'm going to compete in a bodybuilding competition. These last 10 months have been some of the most challenging, but some of the most rewarding because training your body, anything that you're doing with your body, that's something that you have control over. And when you're an adoptee, especially a late discovery adoptee, it can often feel like there's a lot that was outside of our control. There was a lot that was hidden from us and a lot we didn't know. And so working with the body has been another way for me to just have a deeper connection with myself and get to know myself better and to, in some ways, have some type of control. It's like, yes, you know, this is what my body can do and I can train it to get stronger and more flexible and it doesn't have anything to do with anybody else this is something that i am able to do on my own and so from that standpoint it's been just an amazing experience to see the transformation and meet amazing people but i would definitely encourage other adoptees in particular you know do some type of body work so whether it's yoga whether it's dance Tai Chi, meditation, whatever it is, do something that will really allow you to go inside of yourself, learn more about yourself and really tap into your own power. Um, because a lot of times we are disempowered. And so how do we get that power back? How do we get further along on our healing journeys? And so anything you can do with your body is, is, is a good start for that. And so for me, this evolution has been involved bodybuilding and <laughs> I won. <laughs> and you won. You are and a I winner. Won. And let me just yeah. say to any and everybody listening, I saw her in person looking amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, great job. Great job. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Yes. <laughs> Oh, how meaningful for me to have connected with Sandria in person when in Chicago this past summer for a memorable time of great conversation. Then going on to prepare for this recording that was a long time in the making. It was well worth the wait. It can be heartbreaking to learn well into adulthood that you aren't biologically related to the parents or parent who raised you. I've heard many LDAs describe feeling that the ground beneath them was no longer solid. 
as they attempted to make sense of being deceived by those closest to them. I appreciated hearing Sandria share that it has been challenging to discover a part of her identity as an adoptee later in life. Yet her takeaway has been how much more she can trust herself. What an empowering way to move forward in life. Sandria's words, adoption wasn't talked about in our families when we were growing up, resonated with me because of my lived experience, though I am not a late discovery adoptee. I've even heard it said that if knowing you're an adoptee but unable to talk about it, then does a late discovery serve a purpose of protecting you on some level from the difficulty of being silenced throughout childhood? I don't know. It may never know, but I'll stay curious about that perspective. On the blacktobeginning.com website, Sandria wrote, My story doesn't start with adoption. Black to the beginning for me means going back to my true origin story. God's purpose for creating me, quote unquote. I believe we all have a reason for coming to planet Earth, which resulted in being an adopted person or not. As soon as I got about the business of discovering or uncovering what that might be, then how I found myself a part of another family is only a mere fraction of my story. We were all created for purpose in this life. I was happy to chat with Sandria about black people do adopt, and not just through kinship adoption. Even in 2023, it is often assumed that black babies and children are only adopted by white parents. The same race black domestic adoptees who were often physically matched with our adoptive families, our experience isn't seamless or without the obstacles that surface from being away from our first families. Thank you, Sandria, for having this conversation with me. I knew it would give me life, just like sitting near you did at the Soul Food Lounge that lovely summer day. Your light shines so bright through your smile, your words, your wisdom, and your eagerness to embrace life. There's a quote I often use that reminds me of you. She loved life, and it loved her right back. I enjoyed hearing you read your published words, which included, The human voice is a powerful instrument. I'll continue being a listener of your podcast with Dr. Sam and fellowshipping with you both in the future whenever I'm in Chicago or when you might happen to visit Nashville. I imagine the extraordinary work you're doing to help not just Black adoptees, but every member of our community to feel less alone and a strong sense of connectedness. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit jenniferdianegoston.com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. Thank you for being here.